So we talked primarily last night about the function of virtue and how the question, why should you be moral, why should you be good, is resolved quite easily in Buddhism from a Buddhist point of view. And that is because it contributes to the development of the higher mind. You don't need any other reason external to that. You don't need to find that these are rules embedded in the universe or anything like that, or that they're from God, but all you need to know is they're useful. So it's pragmatic, it's useful to be virtuous. And it contributes towards this ultimate goal of freedom. Uh, The Buddha doesn't make any strong arguments beyond that. He doesn't generally have, he's not interested in arguing actually. Uh, If he sees that the person is, uh, can benefit by a few well-chosen stories or logical points, then he will undertake to converse with them. But not other than that. Uh, so there, and of course, Buddhism doesn't have any. There's no strategy for converting others. There's no reliance, no necessity on your part. You will have good results if you practice. And to convince anybody else of it is not necessary. Part of that, which leaves you free to offer your own experience, your, the benefits, if you wish, at whenever you wish, out of compassion, but no obligation. So this structure of behavior is primarily for the ultimate aim of liberation. It's also not to necessarily fix the world or bring justice to the world or to prevent the various uh, catastrophes and such that could happen. That's We're not really obliged to do that. It's essentially that it's uh, the Buddha doesn't reg- regard it as within the control or the possibilities of of individuals to make that happen. So there's no obligation to make anything happen. To prevent evil is not something you can actually do, except insofar as your own uh, behavior. And to make things safe and good and so forth is not necessarily within your possibilities, but it is possible that you may do this for yourself. If we get good results on the side, very good. But the Buddha doesn't lay a guilt trip on you. There's no, it's not that you must do these things, must fix the world. So it's very freeing. There are religious structures out there that just put you in this desperate state of having to 
save everybody or fix the world. It's very unfair, very unfortunate to put people in that position since they really can't do it. It's frustrating. And the other version is that you can't do anything for yourself. Now, that's the, it's a very interesting position of some religions that you must save everybody else, but you can't save yourself. <laughs> You're incapable, and only God or Jesus or somebody can do that for you. That's a terrible position to be in. So the Buddha is reversing that. He says you can't, uh, even the Buddha is not going to fix everything. You can see the Buddha's come and gone, and things are nicely broken. They never fixed it. So that, he was never here to fix it. But he said there will be benefits. Um, there will be many benefits, but I, I can't make that happen. I just think that pe- some people will listen and it will improve the quality of their existence. And the other thing he says is that nobody else is going to save you. Nobody, Nothing is going to save you except yourself. You are going to do it only by skill and wisdom. And only you can do that. Nobody else can do that for you. And you can't do it for anybody else. So it's a, it's a very different version of things. So this, this virtue is... It, the idea is that it's, it contributes to this endeavor on your part to move towards your own liberation from suffering. This is where it underpins the three higher uh, factors of the path, the last three factors, right effort, right mindfulness, and right samadhi. And why are they called right? In Pali, it's sama, samavayamo, samasati, samasamadhi. Why does he put that prefix in there? Why does he add that? Why not just effort, mindfulness, concentration? And what's the difference between, uh, you know, the mindfulness is taught everywhere. Why is it not right mindfulness? People make effort all the time. They try to restrain themselves. They try to be good. Why is that not right effort? They, people concentrate. They, they, they even have ecstatic experiences. Why is that not necessarily right samadhi? Because all of those, all of those factors are only right in the context of the path, so that they, they're only right if they're leading to liberation. They're employed for liberation. The ends uh, define whether it's right concentration or just concentration. Right mindfulness or just mindfulness. Right effort or just effort. And you could even be doing the same practice, the same mindfulness practice, but one of them is right mindfulness and the other one is just mindfulness. Because the person is seeing it in the context of the goal, the the ultimate goal towards liberation. And until that, that aspiration to liberation comes up, you really, that uh, context 
for Buddhist practice is not there. So that's something to get very uh, straight, is that these factors are all just serving each other. They're interrelated with each other only in the context of moving towards that personal liberation, the liberation from the intrinsic causes of suffering. So the this begins with right effort. And the efforts are... Obviously, well, not obvious, maybe, but to re- first of all, to commit to the idea that there is such a thing as effort. Not everybody accepts that. There's all kinds of ideas that you are predetermined. There is no possibility of making. You're you're all causally conditioned, absolutely conditioned, etc. So the Buddha rejects that. That was a possible. That was a discussion point at the time of the Buddha. And is a discussion point to this day. Is there, is there free will or not? Is there the possibility of making effort or not? This was, of course, a topic that he talked about. And he, he's very clear. He says, I've, I've laid down right effort, monks. Here are the factors of right effort. There are four factors under right effort, which I'll talk about later. But monks... Make effort. I would not tell you to make effort if you could not make effort. But because you can make effort, so I say, monks, make effort. Now, that's not necessarily a philosophical argument. That's just an advocacy. He's wise enough, sharp enough to say, I don't have to um, justify these things through endless argument. The argument over predetermination versus free will is very, very old. And it's very uh, hard to make uh, a compelling argument in either direction. We all feel like we make decisions. We feel like we could have made a choice. And the idea that you couldn't never rings true to us intuitively. You can make logical arguments the other way, but uh, usually they don't you don't you can't really feel authentic about such a thing but there were there were um sects of uh philosophers wanderers etc that had that had the idea that none of what you are about to do is under your personal control it's just unfolding and it must unfold the way it does and it, that there is no personal responsibility etc Buddha very thoroughly and completely rejected that. But he's a psychologist and he understands you're gonna, the first thing you're going to encounter is that you do have conditions. You're not exactly free. <laughs> and you can feel that. You make a decision to not do something and then you do it. You, do, you make a decision to do something, then you don't do it. And you can feel the forces. You can feel the force of habit. You can feel your determinations ebbing away. Uh, sometimes you pull it off, and then you're, and you're very convinced of your, your strength and your capacity to maintain a determination, and then just a while before that falls away. 
That's not pride, by the way. That's just, uh, it's hard to completely know yourself, that's all. And the Buddha says, keep working at it, because eventually you will be able to pull it off. And that's the development, what we call the development of aditana, or determination, to make a, a resolution and carry it out. And that requires practice. There are, there are people that have never made any determination whatsoever. They, they follow their, their impulses. They just follow it. It never occurs to them to, to wrestle with habit uh, structures. So the Buddha is advocating. It's, it's actually a lot of effort. Uh, but it's not just any effort. It's skillful effort. So there are clumsy efforts. There are wrong efforts. And then there's skillful efforts. But he is very big on this, and uh, Buddhism is exclusively uh, about your, your, your own decision-making process and the, or your investment in your own energy and effort. Other people, people outside you can help in the sense that they can give you advice and they can give you examples and uh, encourage you, which is great and very, very important, very helpful. But there is no mystical deity there that will interfere with your decision-making process that will relieve you of the burden of this. It won't happen that way. So, these efforts are going to lead, uh, are basically going to be carried out by mindfulness. The function of mindfulness is going to carry out these Efforts and the primary uh, function of mindfulness is as a uh, an observer to know when wrong efforts being made and when right effort is being made. So that's the function of mindfulness. In itself, it has some power in itself, but not complete power. It requires uh, pulling in other factors in order to carry out its instructions. The instructions in uh, under right effort are to prevent the arising of unwholesome conditions. I mean, prevention's always the easiest way, isn't it? Stop it before it starts. And if you can't, then you have to remove it. So if, you, if negative stuff starts, then you have to remove it. That's those under right effort. Right effort is one of the least taught aspects of the path, and there's good reason for it in general out there. First of all, many of the teachings, uh, and even so-called Buddhist teachings, but often on meditation and mindfulness, are not really about right mindfulness. Uh, and they're not about, they're not right because they're not actually aiming for this ultimate liberation. And there's a, a lot of skipping over right effort because it's so explicit in there about right effort. It is really not just being aware of the situation. It is a very deliberate interference with the situation. And there's reason, there's cultural reasons why that is skipped over. Uh, one, sometimes teachers are just not aware of it. They've never actually read the Eightfold Path with the drop-down menus. They just saw the headings, right effort. What's that supposed to be? 
There is a drop-down menu under that. Push that, the drop-down, and it gives you details. And the details are a little bit maybe startling. What, is, what the Buddha is actually asking you to do. Because it, in some sort of ways it contradicts the general tone of our time. Tone of our time is set by psychology in the, in the early, late 19th century, early 20th century up to now. Psychology is setting the tone of, of our time about how the mind works and what you're supposed to be doing. Religion itself, is uh, Western religion, Christianity, so forth, is um, not setting the tone about how you would deal with your mind anymore. Because it's actually, uh, it's in fairly strong contradiction to uh, psychology, modern psychology, you know, psychology of the last 150 years. And you can see the plain uh, sort of uh, friction between uh, what the Pope says and what Freud says. Uh, so you've got this, you've got a split, whether you know it or not, you're living in a culture that is split and you're getting advice, remnant advice from the uh, Christian culture for 2,000 years and then an interruption of that from the 19th century on and at plain odds with each other. They completely are at odds with what human nature is, what your aspiration is, what you could do, what you can't do. Uh, so no wonder there's a bit of confusion in the society about things. And, uh, and also between, so I just explained the difference, the attitudes of Christianity, where salvation is through Jesus or some sort of intervention or you can't do certain things, versus Buddhism, which rejects that and puts, says, nobody's going to do anything for you except you. You're, it's all up to you. So you've got to see that there's strong polarities there. And the, what's the contradiction between Buddhism and sort of modern, just standard psychology is? Standard psychology doesn't have any idea of supernormal aspirations. It, it is trying to make you functional and get along all right. It never even considers the possibility that you could actually go beyond anger or desire. You won't get that advice from your psychologist. It will talk. It's normative. It's just in the normal sort of realm. It's because the roots of it are from normal people who lived functional lives, not particularly successful, not particularly psychologically well. <laughs> the founders of psychology are just find me one that is truly well. <laughs> They don't, they, they're not well, and they don't know how to get well, but they do have advice for people who are extremely dysfunctional about how they might be, become functional. But beyond that, nothing. So you're going to get contradictions about methods for dealing with your mind. So the Buddha is, um, is advocating some cleansing of the mind, which is not advocated in normal normal life and the, the ridding of, of the five hindrances. So the, the prevention and the removal, the right effort, is about the five hindrances, which is just a nice handful of basically all of the problematic nature of the, the emotional structure of the mind. It never occurs to 
ordinary people to, that that is something that they're ever going to do in life. They might need to reduce anger when it you know spills out and they have domestic violence and they end up in jail and all this kind of stuff. Uh, yes, there's some you got a problem with anger, you know. So the idea of reducing that, maybe give them a pill or something, some tranquilizers or a few words of advice, but. So this is actually the aspiration to free yourself uh, entirely from this. And that means prevention and removal. And it doesn't mean just awareness. And here's another friction with psychological, standard psychological talk. There's a couple of words that have just entered the language and entered the view, and it's called suppression and repression. You will not find that in Buddhism. It's an invention. It's an invention that's not very old. Suppression and repression. And there's a lot of... There's holes in that theory about suppression and repression that you could drive a truck through. It is not scientific. It's not rational. It's vague assertions that cannot stand up to deep scrutiny. And so the Buddha is not particularly worried about you kind of bypassing something you need to look at or that you're covering over something that you need, that you, you're, not a, you're not conscious of, but it's being covered over and this and that. That's not, the, not how the Buddha views the mind and not how the Buddha views the method for Moving along, he's very big on on installing new pathways, so creating alternative pathways, and that's not called repression or suppression. The pathways that you normally go down are just habitual, and they, they're they're basic things that you picked up when you were a kid or whatever. They're, you're not repressing them by by choosing to go down another way. You're not not looking at them, etc. You're not suppressing them either. They, are, they, they only have a certain kind of sustainability when they're used. And when you don't use them, each time you don't use them, you make an effort, and it might be a very strong effort at first to not go there, because it's, it's the familiar. It's the sense of... The sense of who you are. If you don't go down that pathway, each the very first time you do that, first of all, you you realize that you can do that. You can not be that person that you thought you were, and that's a startling realization that you're not a thing, that you're not solid, and that there are options. And that you're not being inauthentic by just by deciding not to repeat uh, habitual impulses. We talk about being natural. Uh, it's not natural. It's just you've rehearsed it so many times. It's just it's just habit structures. It feels natural, but it's not you. And it's not authentic. It's just been repeated that's that's all it's repetition doesn't it's no more real or true or authentic 
than anything else, but it's just easy because it's being repeated. So it's very easy to suffer and do unskillful things because, not because it's you or authentic or anything else, or and when you d- decide not to do that, it's not being inauthentic or anything. It's simply just redoing a habit, that's all. And the other one will die out. It will die out without use. It will become weaker without use. It doesn't just sit there eternally. It's not nuclear. It's just a wood fire. You know, It'll die out. There isn't anything eternal. So it's structures that are repeated, and some of them are biologically sort of based and so forth. It doesn't matter. You can undo those things. And uh, you can undo them. There's nothing sacred about biological impulses. Nothing. And if you want to, in fact, that's, it's called being normal. And the Buddha doesn't think that's a good idea. Buddha is very much for not being normal. And not being natural either. He's very much for being supernormal and supernatural. Above normal and above nature. And you're the animal that can do it. The other ones, not so much. You, the humans, yes, you can be supernormal and supernatural. So we're not denying any of these sort of... You're not born with a, as, a clean, as, a, as a blank slate. You have uh, biological stuff, but uh, you, uh, there's other apparatus in there that can actually transcend that. And so that's what we're after, ultimately, is to... We're not doing normative psychology, and we're not doing... We're not trying to be natural, etc. It's it's a very it's training to be uh, above above nature. Will that result in some sort of problems? No, the Buddha is not interested in increasing your problems. It's going to solve a lot of problems. Will there be repercussions because you haven't properly dealt with something or something like that? No, the Buddha is not interested in your personal history or any of those things. uh, There are other techniques for processing all this stuff that happens to people in life. It's not like this is the first generation that stuff happened to. In in a much more intense way, you imagine in the 5th century BC, what the the amount of child death and uh, starvation and just amazing things are rampant at that time. And and people are shocked and put into all kinds of situations through events in their lives, but this they're getting over it through a different technique, and they, it's not required to go sort of explore it, etc. So this is a different, a completely different psychology from that. So it's very important that that this kind of message gets out that there, your mind is is filled with this stuff from all kinds of educational structures, magazine articles, and et cetera, et cetera. And we have to really stand out, so aware, beware that we're in a culture, you know, and we, that, we're, that some of the, inf- the general information, the general attitudes in the culture are, have to be separated out from what the core essential teachings of the, the Buddha, the, the Eightfold Path, is. And in order to do that, you have to actually take some risks and experiment with that. 
So this is what, you know, you're endeavoring in, in meditation retreats and your practice at home is that to engage in right effort and just give it a shot. It's kind of fresh to come to it that way. And that is the very determine, the determination to, to start the day by just a determination not to fall into these, uh, the, the hindrances. And I, I'm sure you all have, know the hindrances, the just uh, aversion, the, the two strongest and most important ones, desire, aversion. Against the world, uh, towards the world. And the world might be include yourself, against yourself and for yourself. These powerful uh, polarity, this is the, the biggest problem in your life are those. The next duality is is also problematic, but not as problematic. And that's just excessive energy or agitation and the depletion of that stagnation, uh, including depressed feelings and so forth, you know, uh, lack of energy. That's the next polar- polarity. In exaggerated form, manic-depressive kind of thing. You know, Everybody's a little manic-depressive. Uh, ordinary people are up and down, sometimes on the agitated side and sometimes on the, the, the stagnant side. And then the last one, which is a little world in itself, is just doubt. What inability to make a decision, feeling paralyzed at the crossroads, not knowing which way to go, and, it, and a kind of an uncomfortable pressure to, to have to make a decision and you don't know what to do. These are the primary categories of distress, problems. And that, those are what right effort is referring to as, as to prevent and to remove. Prevent and remove, prevent and remove. Prevention is preferred. If, it, if you don't catch it in time, removal. And the other two categories for right effort is, is actually, I would say, it would be better, I'm sure the Buddha just put it as two because it's just more symmetrical, but there's actually three sort of, one is um, planting. Like there are, and this is to do with the wholesome side of things, the beautiful and the positive um, emotional structures and mental structures. And so some of them are at, you don't have them, so you're going to have to plant them. They're like seeds, you know, you're going to have to, to initiate them. But some of the, some of the have been planted, you have them, and they're going to have to be maintained. And then the third part of it is uh, abundance. And not just maintaining good uh, things that you have found within yourself, but to actually deepen them and cause them to become abundant. So planting, maintenance, and increase is really the right efforts, the two positive right efforts. And that's a, uh, basically summarized as the seven factors of enlightenment and a preoccupation with that, the, those those beautiful liberating factors. That's what you're, sh- you're really, when you wake up in the morning, that's what you're, 
your job is, is gardening all day long in that, amongst the beautiful, positive, and weeding and preventing the weeds. So this is a, an ongoing process. Uh, how That's Buddhist psychology. That's what the basics of it is. Very straightforward, very simple. Um, a lot of the elaborate theories of psychology just are completely bypassed in this, that you will not find a reference to it and, and what is regarded as dangerous or, or superficial or something is absolutely set aside and shown to be... Psychology, modern psychology in general, is shown to be inadequate in these areas because you get good results with people. And if you can't get good results from your theory, then maybe your theory is wrong. So this theory gets good results and is demonstrated again and again to work. But of course not if we don't do it. So you have to take a shot at it. You know, try try these techniques. So that is uh, I seem to have spent all my time on the first factor, so We'll get on to the others later.